Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Question on our minds as the playoff committee got ready to unveil one through four, would they get TCU right? So many questions coming in after USC lost, after TCU lost. Would Ohio State get in? Would Alabama get in? Nick Saban goes on the record to plead his case on national television, creating a really weird scene. But in the end, we want to know... From you guys and from ourselves, did the playoff committee get it right? Welcome into the Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmys and the Joes, along with Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney. I'm Mitch Mason. Guys, simple as that. Playoff committee ranked Georgia 1, Michigan 2, TCU 3, Ohio State 4. Did they get it right? I think they certainly got the right four teams. I am beyond ecstatic that TCU got in and Alabama despite Nick Saban's very awkward pleading at halftime of the Big Ten championship did not um, ultimately win over the committee because that just would have been a total indictment on the entire selection process to me so yes they got the teams right we can debate the order I think a little bit the seating was you know we were having debates on this show should Michigan be number one should Georgia be number one those are certainly debates to be had. I think they definitely wanted to avoid a rematch. Um, so if there's a tiebreaker, then yeah, avoid the rematch by putting Michigan number two. But yeah, I think they got it right. Super happy Alabama's not in. And, you know, it's weird to say, but this year, maybe the BCS might have been the way to go. If you look back and the BCS <laughs> ultimately probably would have gotten who's probably going to play for the national championship. Yeah, no, you're right about that. I'm glad that they had the gumption to stick with TCU after they lose in overtime. And, and we can talk about that in a second. But, you know, they, they had been one of the better teams all year. They had so many quality wins. And to have the gumption to keep them at three, maybe they were avoiding the rematch. I don't know. But to have the actual audacity to to keep them where they were and to not, you know, to, to slide them out or to let Bama creep on back up or something like that, I think they got that one right for sure. Also – on the Nick Saban thing, and I don't want to get too off the beaten path here, but I was actually at dinner when that happened, and but I could see a TV. So, like, I had been watching the game out of the corner of my eye, trying to, like, be polite, you know, be present, and then just kind of peek off at the game. And I look up, and I'm just – it's just kind of Nick Saban, and he looks kind of sad and lonely and <laughs> tired. And he's just kind of talking. I'm like, what is Nick Saban doing on the – like, I, I couldn't figure out if he was talking about, like – 
how the game was going. And then I was like, but this is the Big Ten championship. Like, I, that would have made mm-hmm. sense for Georgia and LSU, but not really. And I couldn't figure it out. And then afterwards, I, I go back and I look and see what he's saying. And I just couldn't believe. And, and I don't want to be too, you know, weird here. But, like, that looked desperate and a little pathetic just to get up there and do that you know I've seen coaches on their way off the field kind of make mm-hmm. a case if that's their last game and you know reporters will ask them you know why should they let you in the play but to go on a whole segment I don't know that was a little weird to me so outside of that I do want to say Georgia with a super impressive run to get to number one and just stay on top pretty much you know the whole year since they took that number one spot good for them to get there and and good for the playoff committee I think overall for getting it right and the room that Nick Saban was in, not to berate this point too much because we're burying the lead a little bit, but it looked like a, a little bit like Bill Belichick during that 2020 Zoom draft, if you guys remember that. Yes. Like, not not the room <laughs> that I would have thought Nick Saban no. would be broadcasting from. But yeah, just a weird look overall from a guy that's definitely seemed to be above things like that for the majority of his career. <laughs> Well, no doubt about it. Uh, I don't know how much we're going to talk about Alabama in this podcast. We want to not only talk about the four teams that are in, to Trey's point, not bury the lead, celebrate them, uh, celebrate their success, let you know where they're going. Also, we want to look back to the conference championship week. It's not going to be a traditional recap, but we do want to make sure that everyone kind of gets their due. Obviously, we need to talk about USC losing to Utah. I think that's probably where we're going to start. The TCU game, the incredible conference championship, an incredible season that Kansas State put together, uh, obviously creating a little bit of of doubt. Would TCU get in? Did they need to be undefeated to stay in the college football playoff? And I think as we progress, we want to talk a little bit of Heisman odds because, oh my gosh, it got muddy over this weekend. And shout out some memorable bowls as well. Uh, One item before we get into all of that, if you're not following us on Twitter, Instagram, or our YouTube page, which is blowing up right now, uh, head on over to at 3TechPod on Instagram and Twitter, the 3 Technique on YouTube. You can find us there. We post the videos of all of our podcasts. We post video segments as well. So if you're interested specifically in one matchup over the other or one segment over the other, you want to see that on YouTube. You'll find it there in our library. As far as reaction to everything that's going on with the transfer portal, with coaching changes, uh, the bowl game's coming up. Head on over to our socials on Twitter, on Instagram. You can interact with us there. Uh, we will cover this entire postseason in its full detail. That means previewing bowl games. That means talking about the playoff, giving our predictions. We're going to structure that out, though, and we'll release programming notes on Instagram, on Twitter, so you know what to expect from episodes coming up. Of course, a lot going on with the transfer portal. We want to cover that coaching changes as well. So if you're looking kind of for, for a directory of information, you can find it on our socials. But guys, let's start with the Pac-12 championship game, the game that caused all kinds of chaos. I don't know if you watched the playoff announcement segment today uh, at, at noon Eastern, but it all started, the theme of this dialogue that Reese Davis started was what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas There was divorce analogies, who's going to put a ring on it, who's swiping right. A very weird little intro to the segment, but all of that kicked off by the fact that Utah ran away from the Trojans and ended their postseason aspirations of getting into the playoff. I mean, where do you start? Utah was so, so impressive. USC didn't answer the bell late. 
I'll, I'll let you guys kind of take this where you want. Well, so when we recap or when we preview this matchup, I talked about how, you know, I thought Utah was going to be really good, but not find a way to figure it out. And it turns out they were really good and USC just kind of disappeared. Mm-hmm. I, I want to give Caleb Williams his props. Finishes with the numbers. He's got 68% completions, 363, three touchdowns, and only the one interception. He had a phenomenal game. But Cam Rising matched him. He completed 64% for 310 and three touchdowns. No interceptions for him. But I, for me, I was looking at this one, and I think that the the real kind of unsung hero in this one is Jaquinnon Jackson. Yep. He had 13 carries for 105 yards, two touchdowns. Yeah, he has been a little bit of a revelation in this back part of the season for Utah. And it really makes me wish that we could have seen this kind of an effort from them over the whole season. Mm-hmm. Because I think as we're getting into December, Utah is one of the best teams in this country. And I'm really pumped for their matchup. They made the Rose Bowl, I believe, if I'm mm-hmm. remembering that correct. Mm-hmm. But I'm really pumped for their matchup and to see what they can do, see if they can finish this season strong. But, man, just what a disappointing effort from USC to to crumble in this game. They led this game 17-3. to at one point, I think early on in the second quarter, they led this game by two touchdowns. And then uh, I'm looking at this. You have one, two, three, four scores for Utah in a row, makes it 27-17. They kind of claw back with another touchdown, and then they scored 21 unanswered. Yeah, I mean, it's just there's no room for debate really there. Uh, you know, they didn't deserve to be in the playoff after that performance. They have a really good offense, but what came back to bite them was their defense couldn't stop anything. You know, and and apparently maybe it didn't take a Disney movie to make Utah beat them back when they did in the regular season. It turns out Utah might have just been the best team in this conference, as I predicted going into the season. But, you know, maybe a little bit of a stumble on their way there, obviously. It, I'm really happy for Utah to go back to back in this conference. I think it's really cool for their program. And, you know, I want to praise what they're doing and not just make this a USC didn't make the playoff show. Utah being able to go back to back, get back to back Rose Bowl appearances and get another shot at beating a Big Ten program to win their Rose Bowl. I think that's huge for them and for their program. So, And I think it sets them up really well going into a 12-team format where maybe some of these earlier mistakes don't come back and bite them. Yeah, it was really just a fascinating game to watch because early on, like you mentioned, Garrett, USC looked absolutely dominant, especially on offense. Caleb Williams was running, getting whatever he wanted on the ground, um, doing it through the air as well. And Utah, the USC defense was largely shutting down Utah other than an early field goal drive. I was about to text you guys. Um, Utah fumbled in their own territory, I think inside their own 40, with U- uh, USC already up 17-3. to And I was literally getting ready to send the text, thanks for coming out, Utah, as I was expecting USC to go up 24-3. to But that four, it was a four-down stop. They stopped them in four plays on fourth down. And from then on, it was pretty much all Utah. And you can talk about the USC team kind of probably coming in there a little overconfident. I don't know how you come into that game overconfident against a team that's already beat you uh, once this season, but Caleb Williams' manicure or whatever the heck that was just definitely shows what the attitude was of this USC team. And they, they thought that Utah was just going to hand it to them. Credit to the Utes for really taking it to him in the second half. It was really reminiscent, I think, of the Ohio State-Michigan game as well, where Ohio State starts off pretty strong, looking decent on offense and looking pretty good on defense. But then once the script flipped, USC just did not want to respond. They did not want to get up off the mat. And Utah just ran up the score on them. So 
credit to the Utes. Congratulations on a great season. And USC has just got to be asking themselves, you know, they'll be back next year for sure. They'll have another shot at the playoff with Caleb Williams and uh, that offense again next year. But they've got to be kicking themselves for just completely blowing this opportunity. Well, yeah, and, well and can I shout out U, uh, Utah's social media team to that manicure point? And they had the they had changed it to back to back on his hands instead. Oh I thought that was an incredible move from the social media team. And also for that energy on the sideline. I don't know if y'all saw it when they're doing the little dancing towel thing that USC does when they're up like by a whole mm-hmm. bunch of that. Was, that was really awesome. So I, I think it was really cool for Utah to see that kind of feel some of that hate and then give it right back to him. Like that, that was a really cool thing. And I think we're setting ourselves up for a cool matchup from a storyline perspective over the next couple of years as well. USC is not, was not a championship program this year. And I, you know, we're, we're going to end up doing a couple of season and review podcasts because there's going to be so much information to go back and revisit from our previews, what we got right, what we got wrong. Uh, and, you know, really making sure that we kind of give every program that deserves it its due. One of the things that I can already promise I will talk about with USC was I was not right about USC from a record standpoint in the regular season. Not off by much. I think I had them at 10 and 2, maybe 9 and 3 at the worst. I have to go back and look. But my point was there's no way that even with just a great offense that they can be a championship caliber team because defense last year was abhorrent. It was brutal in that 4 and 8 campaign. And to be honest, this USC team, even though they did take a step forward defensively, still a soft football team in in my estimation. Caleb Williams, uh, electric as anybody on the field. Off the field, I wonder a little bit if he's turning into that star diva quarterback. He's very active on social media. He's poking fun at other players. Like Max Duggan, after that game, basically gutted through 10 straight minutes of tear-filled yeah. post-game presser not knowing if he you know, had done enough to, to even keep TCU in the playoff conversation. And Caleb Williams is retweeting it saying, LOL, which of course then someone with a brain tells him to delete that. But at that point, the damage is done. To me, he's got to wrangle some of that in and truly be a leader off the field if this USC team is going to be a championship caliber program. Because once that flash and sizzle wears off and you play a team like Utah, that's not the sexiest pick aesthetically, right? Their offense, sometimes it can disappear. Sometimes that defense, it's it's truly like coming down to the last play. Can they get a stop? But Utah's physicality won the day, and that's what carried them. Yes, was it a slow start? Absolutely. Did it look like USC was going to run away with it? A hundred percent. But Utah had the ability to to kind of gut check themselves and rally and then pull away from USC where the Trojans you know, they've got a little bit of that L.A. stardom factor going on where I feel like when the going gets tough, maybe they shy away from it just a little bit. Can that develop next year? I think it can. You're going to need some changes off the field, in my opinion, if they're going to truly be a team that can reach the playoff and, and take a next step to that elite level. So that's all I'll say on USC. But congratulations to Utah. What a a storybook season after the the Oregon loss, right? I mean, they they lose to Florida, they trip up in the opener, they lose to Oregon, they get drubbed. Since then, though, it's been business as usual for this Utah squad, and I'm proud that they're going to the Rose Bowl, having a chance to make another statement for a program that 
you know, has been kind of working in the shadows, right? Kyle Whittingham has just quietly gone about his work. He's created a very good program. I mean, the, the, the foresight to change Quindon Jackson from a quarterback to a running back because that's how athletic and tough he is, a very, very smart move. So congratulations to the Utah Utes. And one more thing on Utah. Um, they ended up finishing, and I just checked this number, they ended up finishing eighth in scoring offense this year. Wow. So so to the, the to the notion that, you know, they're just kind of a whatever and, you know, maybe Rising's just a game manager and this offense didn't – like it, it sure wasn't reliable and it disappeared at times, right? There were times where, yep. hey, we needed you to be there and you just weren't there. But to that notion, they bounced back in a big way, scored a lot of points down the stretch, and I think that that sets them up in a great spot for next year to be able to hopefully maximize on not just – you know, recruiting, but also the transfer portal and being able to show people, hey, if you come here, we're back to back champs at this conference. We'll get you there if you just, you know, you can be that final piece that gets us over the hump, you know? And I think that I'm really excited to see where they go with it. And the fact that in the expanded 12 team model, they would be the number four seed. Yeah. Getting a bye and then getting maybe if we get the last modification to this playoff, a, a home game hosting a big time program in Salt Lake City. So just, yeah, this, the, Ceiling is the roof, as the saying goes, uh, for <laughs> for Utah. And I'm really excited to see what they can do in this modified new ecosystem that we're creating in college football. Well, let's go to Arlington for the Big 12 championship. And this was the most exciting game of the entire weekend. Number uh, three, TCU, upset by number 10, Kansas State, in the Big, T- uh, Big 12 championship game, 31-28 in overtime. You guys got to watch this live. Most of this game was happening while I was driving down to call a regional final game. So walk me through kind of the fourth quarter, right? It seems like Kansas State has come back. They've pulled away by 11. And then Max Duggan truly reaches into the bag and gives 110% even to get this game to overtime. In a purple showdown, how impressed were you guys with not only – TCU for coming back and showing that fight, but heck, Kansas State winning the Big 12 title. I, I, you know, we talked about Garrett had them going to Dallas to, to play in that game, but actually to see that become reality and the Wildcats get a Big 12 championship game, a truly remarkable season for, for Kansas State. And Kansas State was one of my darlings. I picked two conference champions as darlings between Utah and Kansas State. So I'll, I'll just throw that out there as kind of a fun one. Um, th- this game, I don't know about you, Trey. We, we both got to watch this. This game was one of my favorite games to watch this year. I mean, just in terms and, of yeah, the, the, dr- uh, the drama and the fan bases were great. You know, I, I kind of teased that it was going to be lower attendance just because, you know, they had like kind of smaller fan bases. They showed up and it was a lot of fun. It, it was everything that I was hoping it would be going into this one and so much more. You know, Kansas State, they jump out to a massive lead to start. Will Howard, he, let me tell you what, Will Howard's going to get talked about the next couple of years. He he is a talented, talented football player. And I'm really excited to see kind of where he ends up with his career. But man, like, you know, you're looking through this and I thought, okay, well, that's wraps for TCU. If they lose by, you know, sort of that 14 point margin kind of area right there there's no chance they're going to make it into this game. They're, they're going to find a way to say, well, it was bad loss. They didn't look very good. And we'll sneak Bama in there somehow. And, you know, I was, well, that's wraps for TCU. Good season. Couldn't get it done. But man, to see the the resilience from TCU to come back and make this one a game, to see Max Duggan go out there and just ball. There are people talking about how, you know, if, if they ended up pulling that game off, Max Duggan won the Heisman with that last drive that he ran. And I totally would have agreed with that as well. Obviously they don't end up getting the result that they want, 
but that's that. And uh, also the controversial call on the goal line in overtime. It sure looked like maybe he had reached his hand across and gotten that ball across the goal line. You know, obviously with the angle, you can't really tell. So I understand the, you know, the indisputable video evidence, but man, I mean, could you not get someone to go down there and do a little trigonometry and figure out if that ball got across <laughs> the line? Like that's too big of a call in that big of a moment to, to really mess it up or leave it up to that. So, you know, it, it you know, for me, it, it was disappointing to see, you know, that they didn't get to call that. But at the same time, you know, and I was talking with a friend about this. How do you not sneak it there from inside the one yard line? inside the one yard line, two plays inside the one yard line and you hand it off twice. I get it. If you want to go with the power run game, Kendra Miller has been fantastic this year at just finding that one yard, but the quarterback sneak is one of the hardest plays to stop in football for just one yard. And so I color me confused as to why they didn't go that direction, but you have to go hats off to Kansas state on this one. They, they got tough in the trenches. 92 had the big stop there in the middle. Um, and, and, you know, kind of came off of his blocker, was getting still pushed by the guard when he made contact with Kendra um, and ultimately brought him down. So, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled for them to be able to do that. And then going to shout out the hero, Ty Zintner, 31-yard field goal to win this game, send them on. And, you know, they, we talk about college kickers. They mess it up all the time, and we'll trash them when they deserve it. Sure. But we, I'm going to praise them when they deserve it too. You're standing there. You're looking up. It's it's you know AT and T Stadium, and there's loads of fans and that massive jumbotron up on top, and, and you've got to look up there and kick a field goal. Yeah, it's straight dead on, and it's it's pretty close. So you're thinking this should be a gimme, but we've seen that field goal go sideways multiple times. And so, yeah. shout out to him for just being nails, and and shout out again to Kansas State, my darlings, finding a way to win their conference, and, uh, and you know, very very fun for them. Cool to see them get to go on and get that Sugar Bowl bid as well. So. Uh, yeah, just hats off to them in a great season and to TCU for for making it competitive enough, competitive enough to stay in the playoff picture. Yeah, and K State really took the game to TCU for most of most of the game until that last ditched effort by Max Duggan, who absolutely I think would have stolen the Heisman if TCU was able to complete sure. that comeback. And that last drive, just talk about a heroic individual effort. It was all him his legs, making plays on the ground, scrambling. No one was open. Kansas State was doing a fantastic job of shutting down the traditional run game, shutting down the passing game. Max Duggan battled, and he made some big-time throws, but for the most part, Kansas State was covering all of TCU's receivers and doing a really, really good job in the secondary and also just blowing up the TCU offensive line at the point of attack. So if I'm a Frog fan, you know, you're not worried about the matchups right now against Michigan, but – that's something I'm definitely worried about. Kansas State was able to really exploit the TCU offensive line. And if you think Kansas State can do it, then Michigan certainly can too. But hats off to Max Duggan, all-time effort in, you know, in a losing effort, you know, just an all-time great effort from him. I'm really, if we're looking at second-guessing, yes, you can second-guess the officials. We took like, it seemed like 10 minutes to move the ball four inches. Uh, yeah. for that third down play. I yeah, think. yeah. And yes, you have the camera angle that it appeared showed he crossed into the plane on third down, and we didn't even review that, and just a weird sequence at the end. I know you're on the six-inch line, but the defense have been playing really, really well at the end of the fourth quarter, and I it, it's really hard for me to not take the points in overtime. Mm-hmm. It's just, just the risk-reward is so, so high. 
playoff hopes on the line. I know I'm usually a guy that says go for it on fourth and goal, but in overtime, the way the college rules are set up, to me, I think you probably kick the field goal. Ultimately, it doesn't matter for TCU, but I think I even texted you guys, man, if the decision, if if it costs them a playoff spot mm-hmm. by not kicking a gimme field goal right there, then how do you sleep at night if you're Sonny Dykes? But yep. ultimately, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, they still get in the playoff, and ultimately, we just get a really cool extra chapter in this college football story. And again, another mm-hmm. team that would have played their in, way into the playoff in a 12-team playoff scenario. We would be getting to welcome the Kansas State Wildcats this week. So another wrinkle, a weekend that ultimately didn't really matter other than for USC and, and Ohio State, would have had another really awesome wrinkle. And how thrilling would that game have been if it was for a playoff spot? Yeah. How how did you guys feel about TCU staying at three, Ohio State coming in at four? Boo Corrigan, the college football playoff committee chair, um, talking today said that they felt like TCU ought not to be punished for playing and losing by a matter of inches to a top 10 team while Ohio State sat on their couch this weekend. I personally, and I tweeted this out, I personally completely agree with that. That's what I was hoping they would do. Ohio State did not deserve to jump into the top three. They didn't do anything this week. They lost the last time we saw them. They were getting housed by 22 on their own turf. And to me, fine, let them in because USC opened the door for them, but you can't reward them and jump them multiple spots. I was afraid that the committee wouldn't have the stones to do that. And yet for once, in my estimation, the the chair and that committee did something that made sense. How do you guys feel about that? Booze said a lot of weird things this year, but that is one that he got right. (laughs) He, he, He got that one right. And the committee got that one right. I will say the fact that we have to be on pins and needles hoping that they get it right is just to me in this 12 team era that we're moving into. I just really, really hope we do something about the human element of all this because humans, even if they're fully trained on the selection criteria, just get so wrapped up in the emotion and the moment. And there's just so many opportunities for them to make a decision that just doesn't make sense. So I, I for one hope that we can get to some sort of correlation similar to the BCS rankings for seeding purposes, but that's a rant for another day for me. He did get it right. I, th- I think it's absolutely right. You can't punish TCU for having to play an extra game when Ohio State didn't even earn the right to play that extra game. Right, and the point here is that TCU played a very close, very competitive game against not a nobody, right? This is a very good Kansas State team. There's some really good players on that team. I think I saw it on Twitter that Deuce Vaughn, and you know, I called him as my you know best player in the Big 12 going into the season. He is one of two players in the last, I don't know how long, maybe I can't remember if it's ever, the last 20 years or something like that, who's had 1,300 yards rushing and 300 yards receiving two years in a row. It's him and Christian McCaffrey. Those are the two guys that, that have done that in college. That That's not, you know, oh, that's nobody. who get, No, it's him and Christian McCaffrey, and Deuce Vaughn doesn't get talked about enough on a national level. So, and if he got his credit, you know, from, you know, Twitter for a good 15 minutes of fame after he juked that one guy into the next, you know, millennia. Which was but, incredible. That, like, that was insane. Feel bad that was, for that guy. He's definitely going to get featured on uh, – Who's that guy on? Uh, yeah, not really an athlete. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. But like this, this is a very good Kansas State team that has a great defense. I think they're a top 20 scoring defense. Um, that It's, you know, 
stud players all across the board on the offense. And, you know, TCU played them to the very last minute. They played them all the way down. They, they played them to overtime. They played them to a couple inches onto the goal line, a tough decision. You know, do we go for it? Do we kick the field goal? You know, and I'm sure they had some analytics guys saying that you have to go for it. I'm sure that's how that ended up breaking down. But at, at the end of the day, you just make one or two plays the other way and they're an undefeated conference champion. You know, and so I think they should be rewarded for that. Whereas Ohio State, the last we saw of them was they got waxed by 22 points against their rival and they didn't play anything this last week. So, you know, I at home, by the way. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to say that Ohio State's a terrible team. Obviously, they're a very good team. It took a team like Michigan to beat them that badly. And I think that they're going to put up a good fight against Georgia. But at the end of the day, they didn't really do anything to earn it. It's not about, you know, just the eye test or who do you think is the best or whatever else. Cause that's where you get a lot of the bias that comes in and just sort of what have I seen in the past and what do I believe is true based on maybe preseason rankings and, mm-hmm. you know, preseason hype and things like that. At the end of the day, Ohio state didn't necessarily do anything to earn it, but there just weren't four teams that earned a spot this year. You know, there were three teams I believe that earned a spot and there was a fourth spot up for grabs where Ohio state was kind of the odd man in, in this case. So you know, I'm I'm glad for them that they get an opportunity. Maybe they'll show us all wrong and, you know, shape up and play their best football for a couple of weeks. But at this moment, you know, they didn't really deserve to get in. And so if they were to have hopped TCU for that to kind of reset the rivalry, that would have made me upset just as a TCU fan. Or not that I am, but if I was a TCU fan, that would have made me very upset that they would have hopped me. Now I got to go play Georgia. And, you know, that, that would have made me upset as a TCU fan. Yeah, completely agree. Um, glad that they got this one right. Uh, I agree, though. I, I do think in discussion for the offseason, uh, is there a better way to, to do this? We'll, we'll get into all of that, I'm sure, coming up. Uh, Georgia, number one, takes care of LSU 50-30, to 30, and Michigan beats Quavius showed up. We, we just got to yes. shout him up. Y'all joked about him going through five touchdown passes, and he got four in the first half, and then Georgia well, kind of called off the dogs. Well, and I was going to see if you guys had any any real notes from that. So, yeah, Georgia houses LSU. LSU looked broken. I mean, they, they got their will snapped in half last week. Not to mention Jaden Daniels is just hurt. I mean, he was banged up last yeah. week against A&M. He got banged up again against Georgia. Garrett Nussmeyer comes in and throws for 294. I mean, LSU he made really it good. He kind of a game really in the good. second half. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, Georgia takes care of business, the undisputed top team in the country, and a lot of people forget this, they didn't even win the SEC championship last year. Remember, Alabama beat them in that game. Georgia had to come back as the, what was it, the four seed, right? And or, mm-hmm. no, three, three seed, four seed? I think they made the three, three seed, seed, yeah. Three seed, yeah. And beat Alabama, obviously, in the national championship game. Uh, Michigan, they take care of Purdue like we assumed they would. Purdue kept it close in the first half. Aiden O'Connell had a good game. I mean, he throws for 366. Charlie Jones... Chuck Swizzle, 162 yards receiving. I mean, the Purdue offense works. They just can't rush the ball, and their defense couldn't stop Donovan Edwards. I mean, it was basically that simple. And when they didn't run it with Donovan Edwards, J.J. McCarthy could pull play action, fight his tight end for 40 yards down the field. I mean, it was just a mismatch on paper. It was a mismatch on the field. Overall, I mean, I think we just have to recognize the top two teams in the country took care of business. They look like the best two teams. To me, you know, a lot of people are saying that Ohio State might backdoor their way into a national championship. And we're going to preview those games in their full glory. 
Where I'm sitting right now, I find it very hard to believe that we're going to have a national championship game that's anything other than than one and two. Do you guys agree, disagree, just kind of off the rip here? Yeah, off the bat, I think that that makes the most sense. I mean, when you look at what both these teams did, not just in terms of on the field yesterday, but the, the when you go really into it, this was complete domination. I mean, the score is kind of reflected, but they, they let Jaden Daniels and Garrett Nussmeyer both have good days, and, and Georgia still goes out there and just kind of wipes the floor with them, doesn't really let it be competitive at any point. You know, their, their running backs get what they need. Um, you know, the Bennett, I mean, y'all talked about it a little bit, or Trey mentioned it a little bit, four touchdowns and just no issues there. They kind of just got to coast after that. Um, and, and then if you look at Michigan, I mean, Donovan Edwards is him, right? 25 carries, 185 yards, a touchdown. He had, you know, I think he added a catch or something like that, but, you know, almost gets to 200 yards from scrimmage. I mean, he is him, man. He He's incredible. It, you know, I, I'm gutted that Blake Corum's not going to finish the season, but, man, Donovan Edwards, he's he is a stud. And J.J. McCarthy is also playing, you know, sort of under the radar, very, very good football. I think he's got six touchdowns and one interception in his last two games. If he can keep that pace up to kind of just take some of the pressure off, I don't see how TCU really stands that much of a chance. They'll fight. They absolutely will fight. TCU is a resilient team, but – Man, they, they look like they're, you know, on pace right now to to get beat pretty bad by where Michigan is right now. And, I mean, kind of what you were saying, Mitch, like I don't see how Ohio State really figures this out. They, they couldn't really keep up with a team like Michigan, mostly for the defensive reasons. All those things are going to get compounded worse playing Georgia, right? There's bigger guys, faster guys up on that line of scrimmage, a little bit better talent, I think, on the back end of that defense. Man, it's going to be a tough – way for Ohio State to get through if they're going to be able to. And and I just kind of don't see it happening for them. Even if they would, they still have to go play Michigan, I think, who they've already lost to by multiple scores. And this time they don't get Columbus to help them. So, you know, I just – I don't see a way for Ohio State right here to really make it through. Now, cue that up. Obviously, that means that they're going to win it all now. But, you know, I just (laughs) – I just kind of don't see it. So, I think you're dead on, Mitch. I think it's probably going to be one and two – you know, and, and I think that's more fun to watch just in terms of having those big teams and the best two for the whole year, I think. Yeah, and I think, you know, the early lines I saw, saw it looked like Georgia minus five and a half and Michigan minus six and a half, respectively, in the semifinal games. I think that Georgia minus five and a half might be the early lock of this year. Absolutely. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I. You're telling me that an Ohio State team that struggled to run the ball and really struggled with Michigan's uh, defensive front is going to keep it within a touchdown of Georgia, whose defense is just going to has run wild through everybody that they played the last two years outside of Alabama. So, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't think that Ohio State necessarily has much of a shot. And I, I was talking to an Ohio State fan, fan today who's a friend of mine, and he – is just really, really concerned anytime he said, yeah, we got into the playoff, but what I've seen is the last few years is we just can't run the football when we need to. We have all the flash on the outside. We have all the great quarterback play when our offensive line needs to get us a yard. They can't do it against competent defensive fronts. And Mm -hmm. Georgia, if you call them just a competent defensive front, then you're really (laughs) underselling them because they're one of the most elite units of all time. So not really confident in the Buckeyes ability to compete in the trenches. Yeah, on the running game point, Trey, a couple stats from you from your game yesterday in uh, in Atlanta. 
Kenny McIntosh had 55 yards. Dejon Edwards had 77. And Kendall Milton added 113. They have a three-headed monster that they get to just kind of rotate and, and keep everything fresh there. You know, it, it, that's that's a recipe for disaster if you're Ohio State right now. You know, to be able to wear you down in the run game like that, that's a recipe for disaster there. So, you know, let, let's go ahead and kind of step back from that for a second. Are they good enough to compete? Yeah, they, they could go out there, have big games. You know, Marvin Harrison Jr. could come out, have a huge game, you know, and, and Stroud obviously has the talent to keep them in this game. Do I expect that to happen based on what I've seen from them so far to the, this point in the year? No, absolutely not. And so I think, you know, at the end of the day, I think we're going to get a 1v2. And kind of like what you were saying, Trey, I think the BCS would have actually gotten this one right this year. And, and it doesn't mean that we want the BCS format. I obviously would prefer a, a playoff format and an expanded playoff format. But at the end of the day, I think there really are just two teams that have obviously proven they're the best two. And then we'll get to see them play at the end of the year. I, I think it's mm-hmm. going to be how this one works out. Yeah, yeah I fascinating to see that expanded format this year. You know, Alabama fans obviously would take umbrage at the fact that they're not included. And, you know, they didn't earn the right to be uh, included in this current format, but it would be fascinating to see Alabama as like a seven or eight seed if they could make a run. You know, they are super talented. Mm-hmm. They do have one of the best quarterbacks in the nation, and their two losses were on the road in hostile environments on the last play. So mm-hmm. that, you know... That's Nick Saban's argument in a nutshell, and it would be fascinating. I must confess, like I, I would hate to. I hated the thought that they might backdoor their way into a four-team playoff. Their inclusion in a twelve-team playoff makes it more makes those early round games more exciting. Like it just is what it is, and you can say that yeah. they shouldn't be rewarded for a down year. But like we've always said, if they could have made a run through a gauntlet, going on the road for the most part of it, then they would deserve a national championship, even if it is like a second chance or a backdoor shot. Sure. Sure. Uh, Let's shout out Buffalo and New Mexico state. Both teams became bowl eligible with wins uh, this past weekend. Buffalo made a sweat 23, 22 over Akron. On a Friday, they were making a sweat for no reason. Dude. And just such an ugly, an ugly path to a victory. I mean, they're down nine nothing early, and then Akron starts to pull away. Shout out Cole Snyder, two hundred sixty four yards through the air, leading leading the comeback, and uh, an interception on the last play of the game does end up sealing that win for Buffalo, New Mexico State. I I didn't even know Valparaiso played football, but they beat them sixty five to three to uh, earn an entrance into the Quick Lanes Bowl, I believe. So congratulations to Jerry Kill for getting New Mexico State into the postseason. Uh, other conference champions to shout out, and I'm going to list off a couple of them. Hit me with with anything that stood out from these games uh, to you guys. UTSA runs the state of Texas. The Roadrunners win 48-27 over North Texas. Frank Harris, 341 yards. What a career he had after transferring over from LSU. Just, just a tre- tremendous job uh, for the left-handed quarterback. Um Clemson blows out North Carolina. Gosh, darn it, UNC. The support for you guys has just gone unappreciated all year long, and I I might have to be on a moratorium for supporting Tar Heel Athletics next year. Um, I wasted too much fake capital on them. I I know you guys might want to mention Cade Klubnick in a second, so put a a pin on that. Tulane, baby. I I was sweating bullets. I'm on a broadcast. We go to a break. And my partner tells me, oh, 
gosh, UCF just took the lead over Tulane late in the, what was it, third or early fourth. I was like, oh, no, Tulane is somehow going to break my heart. We get off the air, and I see that Tulane has won 45-28. Michael Pratt throws for almost 400 yards. Tajay Spears, 199 yards on the ground. Congratulations. You win a conference championship at home. You're going to the Cotton Bowl. Roll green wave. Uh, Troy beats Coastal Carolina. Toledo beats Ohio. Congratulations to you guys. I knew that was going to be right as soon as I picked Ohio. Uh, Fresno beats Boise State, and I think that's all of them. So, anyway, cavalcade of updates there. Anything that stood out from from these games? Play your five-star quarterbacks. Like, if there's a five-star <laughs> quarterback sitting on your bench and your current starter is not getting it done, play the five-star, man. Like, sure. I know he, he did get some playing time earlier in the year, and it was apparent at the time that he wasn't quite ready. Right, like like he got inserted, I think against Syracuse, promptly threw an interception. Um, might have played in the Notre Dame game as well. I can't really remember, but he got a chance to ball out against the UNC defense that we've definitely been open about our concerns about. And literally, the moment he was put in, it was a spark plug for the offense, and the Clemson offense just looked cohesive for the first time all year outside of that Wake Forest game. So. Future, I think, is still bright in Clemson with Cade Klubnick leading the way. I think I'm excited to see him get a full season, a full offseason of work. And credit to Dabo with all – I don't I don't know how many eyes were actually on that game. It seemed like most of the college university kind of tuned out after the SEC championship game. <laughs> became a blowout. But, you know, a lot of eyeballs on that game, a lot of pressure, a championship on the line. And he goes to the freshman, the freshman delivers. So – Huge, huge uh, victory for Cade Klubnick and a great way to start his uh, Clemson Tiger career in full gear. Yeah, and a chance to go to the Orange Bowl as well and, and yeah. you know, go make a make a good ending to a season that's been a little disappointing and, you know, maybe where they thought they would be at the end of the year. Look, Cade Klubnick, he finishes 279, one touchdown, nothing too crazy, but a 194 rating. They Clemson had four players attempt to pass and the lowest rated quarterback was DJ. Oof. That's that's rough. It, it was Kate as a one ninety four. They had technically, I think, like a running back through one pass and it was caught. Um, and he finished with a perfect rate. Um, and then they had Hunter Johnson come in. He went five for five. Um, and, and then yeah, DJ two for five finishes with a fifty six point eight rating. Um, DJ not, got not, one one series, right? He got Where one series. You? Yeah, I think yeah, that was he got it. two. They punted on both. Two. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see the second one. I guess. But yeah. So he he does that. Kate also adds thirty yards on the ground and a touchdown. That's. I think he's got a, a pretty bright future there. Obviously, Clemson has a good program that's going on. They have a good system in place, a, a championship system. Wasn't there this year? Uh, I think they figured out by the end of the year who their quarterback was. Fortunately, and I, I'm excited to see what they can do in the Orange Bowl and see if they can kind of move on from this and kind of get some momentum going into next year maybe use some of that momentum to capitalize in the portal or in recruiting or something like that to kind of rebuild and get back on top of the football world. But to switch it over to Tulane, an insane game from a couple of these guys. You're talking about Pratt throwing for almost 400. Spears had almost 200 on the ground. He finished with 199 on the ground. He finished with over 200 in scrimmage when he factored in passing. An incredible effort from that team to, to go out there and, you know, you look at it and it doesn't look competitive, but yeah, like you were saying, there is some there is some struggles there in that last part of the fourth quarter, and you started to kind of think, is UCF going to come back and take this thing away? And for for them to get that, and the field storming, and to seal the Cotton Bowl, and all that, it just 
a really good feel good for Tulane, you know, and, and I'm excited to kind of see what they can do against a USC team, which, you know, they're maybe not necessarily very excited to be there. Maybe not feeling the best might have a couple guys hopped out. Tulane could finish the season on a high note. Yeah. And I, I who was it Pratt or, uh, not Pratt. Uh, was it Spears that had that long touchdown run where he was just hurdling guys? Or I can't remember. Who <laughs> I believe so. Yeah, I think it was because yeah. he took off and he hurdled his own teammate because he yeah, fell over was, in front of him. <laughs> just an insane, <laughs> insane sequence. And I'm excited for Tulane, man. Like that, just yeah. such a great win. What a turnaround! What a story there. Troy also. I don't think any of us had Troy on yeah. the bingo card of winning a conference championship this year. Shout out to them. Uh, I think. Uh, Jamie Chadwell, his last game at Coastal was not one to be remembering about. So, nope. yeah. Uh, yeah, and Jake Hayner ending his Fresno State career in all likelihood on a really, really good note. So, sure. shout out to Fresno State. I think seven-game win streak, maybe the long one of the longest acting winning streaks in the nation. Yeah, like you mentioned, they started, what was it, one and four to the season yeah. and then just reeled off a, a bunch of wins in a row basically went undefeated over the last two months of their season. And for Jake Hayner, tell you what, there's some quarterbacks in this upcoming draft that, you know, the, the Bryce Youngs, the CJ Strouds that are going to go high. I've heard a lot of draft talk already that Jake Hayner might be the steal of the draft in the second, third round. A team that doesn't reach on a Will Levis, that actually wants a competent quarterback. You might be able to get Hayner at the end of the second, beginning of the third. He's got a lot of tools that, translate to the NFL so you know maybe a guy to watch I think come April in in, in draft season uh and then you know like you guys said shout out to Toledo beating Ohio uh, they've had injury issues all season long but they're able to get that uh, that championship wrapped up and uh, you know for Ohio not having the maple missile that certainly hurts your offense they only manage seven points um it is what it is not not a very pretty game but at the end of the day you bring home hardware you sure. know that's that's what you want you know and so yeah. good job for toledo getting that one done not it's so weird not having that game on a friday night i think trey yeah. you mentioned that maybe on the last yeah. pod like yeah, that's yeah. just been a tradition you, you turn that on on a friday night during conference championship week and you get to watch action without really missing feeling like you're missing uh too much else so um not really sure why they moved that to saturday but it is what it is um let's talk Heisman. And then before we we kind of end with some mentions of the New Year's Six Bowls, some games, bowl games that you guys are looking forward to previewing, looking forward to seeing uh, who stays, who opts out. I think we also should probably mention the Deion Sanders hire uh, at, at Colorado. I've got some thoughts on that. We can keep that quick, but let's do Heisman talk first. And then just my Twitter feed is all Dion's press conference and things like that. So I do want to address that, probably make a YouTube video specifically out of that. Talking Heisman though, Caleb Williams coming into this weekend seemed like the runaway favorite. He's had a very good year. I think traditionally in, in years past, you might've had a little bit more competition, but CJ Stroud falls off. Blake Corum ends his season early with an injury at Michigan. Texas doesn't win enough games for Bijan Robinson in today's, award era to be considered or even invited to New York, which I think is a little bit of a shame. Max Duggan could have, and there were a lot of people that said would have stolen the Heisman had he won yesterday against Kansas State. 
Stetson Bennett's been balling out in the last couple of weeks, but also had some sluggish games. So my question to you guys is odds are off the board. Uh, going into the Pac-12 championship game, Caleb Williams was 1-28 to 28 odds to win the Heisman. So if you put in $28, you get $1 added to the pot if he was was to win that, right, as a return. Is that still true? Did did he did anyone else do anything over the weekend to win it? Did they in their loss to Utah, did he lose it? Where where do y'all sit on this year's Heisman? I don't think he necessarily lost it, and it's gonna be strange because in the past the default of the Heisman voters, I think, has been in a year where no one really rises up to get it. They kind of just default give it to the quarterback of the best team. I'm thinking about Marcus Mariota um, when he yeah. won it. Not necessarily like I, I I don't know that not no shade at Mariota. He he definitely is a deserving guy, but I don't know that he was necessarily like wowed you with anything he did that year. Maybe no. Troy Smith in 2006 with Ohio State, but yeah, it, it, no one's really risen up and taken it this year. And I think Caleb Williams definitely has the best stats. So. If it's going to be a stat award, give it to Caleb Williams. If it's going to be, you know, hey, who led their team to put them in the best position for the national championship, maybe Stetson Bennett? I I don't know, but he certainly hasn't had the wow factor on his side either. Yeah, and if you're just going to go kind of storylines and which guy put his team in the best position, you have to start including guys like McCarthy as well, who maybe he didn't play as well early on, but has been extremely good in this last part. Maybe you have to include guys like Donovan Edwards, who have absolutely exploded the last couple of weeks to get you in this position. Um, but but no, I think you're right that he didn't necessarily win it, but I don't think anyone else really won it either. I don't think Caleb Williams did anything to really rise above, but yeah, nobody really won the Heisman this year. You'll, you'll get a couple guys that get invited. I think it's more than likely that your top three end up being probably Caleb Williams, Max Duggan, and C.J. Stroud. Um, maybe Stetson instead of Stroud. I don't know exactly if they're going to include him or not, but I don't think Stetson ended up with that good of numbers. I think he finished with something like 20 touchdowns through the air, and I don't think that's going to get it done. For the Heisman, just statistically, it would be Caleb Williams. And I think that what you can kind of default to is, you know, kind of just how bad USC has been traditionally and just how much Caleb Williams is a part of making them good this year. Um, and I, I think you can kind of, flip that on its head and say, well, yeah, maybe it wasn't the season they wanted, but man, look at this, you know, outstanding performance as a guy. I mean, he threw for over 4,000 yards this season. Yeah. That's a pretty remarkable statistic, 37 touchdowns, I think only four interceptions. So, I mean, pretty remarkable um, just from a statistics standpoint, what he was able to do and accomplish. But again, yeah, just nobody really rose up and had that moment where they said, yeah, like this is my Heisman. You know, I, I won this massive game that mattered. Right. I, I won the big game that I really needed to win to put my team over the top. That's typically what you end up seeing. And he just didn't see it from Caleb this year. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm curious to see what happens. But I think this is going to be one of those a little bit more forgettable Heisman trophies where, you know, it's not like the oh, like the couple years of the borough or what. It, like, you know, we're not going to say that about whoever wins it this year. I think that's very fair. I, I do think it's going to be Caleb Williams almost by default. And I would have loved to have seen. Um, a little bit more competition, especially late down the, the stretch run. But listen, at the end of the day, Caleb Williams had a phenomenal season. I think he's going to be a worthy Heisman winner. I just don't think it's the most exciting because I don't know that he ever had that moment, right? That that Heisman defining moment. I think that's going to be missing. 
I think the highlight tape is going to be awesome that they play in New York, but you may be missing that one that one signature moment. Um, I mean, can we just save it and give it to two guys next year? Because I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you've had those years like in the that. past where you have two or three guys that are like, wow, all three of these guys really seem like they deserve the Heisman. Who's it going to be? And then they end up picking one of them. Yeah, just save it and give it to someone who actually deserves it next year, you know? Make it like the Baseball Hall of Fame where they can just leave their yeah. ballots blank and, oh, we didn't have anybody this year. No, no, I didn't no think about it, yep. <laughs> just roll it over, no doubt. All right, well, Deion Sanders sold headlines this week by leaving Jackson State, going to Colorado, a team that went 1-11 this year. They have been horrendous for a number of years now. Carl Durrell fired almost two months ago. Obviously, Mel Tucker several or several years ago, a couple of years ago, leaving Colorado in the lurch to go to Michigan State. He's obviously received a massive contract since that point, but the Buffs have struggled to even be competent on the football field. Deion Sanders famously said when he took over at Jackson State, he wasn't interested in coaching at a Power 5 program. He was there not for the money, but to revolutionize HBCUs and to bring more attention, more quality football to that level of play. Now, he's received a lot of, a lot of slack on social media for uh, turning this into a little bit of a theater, telling reporters, I'm finalizing my staff, I'm telling recruits you know, where I'm going, I'm going to be at a school this Sunday, and I'll be announcing. Would love your temperature on this. Is this a good move, first of all, for Colorado, bringing in Deion Sanders? And second of all, should we be bringing up some receipts from what he said in years past? Is there concern about the personality that is prime time and some of the things that he's said and done to get this position this year? It's certainly going to be fascinating to follow. I, for one, didn't think that Colorado would make the short list of teams that he would consider jumping up to the FBS level for. Never in my mind was that opening even, you know, considered until the rumors started being floated about a week ago. Definitely thought he would be more Georgia Tech or um, Auburn or somewhere down in the, you know, southern footprint. But, you know, it's going to be fascinating to follow. And I, for one, am just really excited when teams like Colorado or like teams of that caliber who you know, Colorado's had a lot of success in the past, especially in the 90s, winning a share of a national title. But since then, it's been a lot of really bad football in Boulder. And anything we can do to kind of spice up the ecosystem, spice up, you know, add some intrigue to another school that we definitely weren't caring about on the national landscape before, I'm all for that. Now, do we need to attack Dion as a person for changing his mind? I don't think so. I, I don't know that he never really we'll never know what his true ambitions were. He certainly rose the profile of Jackson state and brought a lot of attention and money and um, just things that would not have been there before to Jackson state and to HBCU. So did he serve his purpose there? I don't know. Like that, that's not for me to decide, but I'm not going to berate a guy for making a career move and uh, going after something. I think his words were, I'm not going to, the bag didn't, I didn't chase the bag. The bag chased me. Right. And you, you can, <laughs> you can make whatever you want out of that, but I'm not going to braid a guy for making a move that he feels is in his best interest. 
Well, and you got to think. So for Colorado, this is a great move, in my opinion. You're one eleven this year. You're the hundred and twenty seventh scoring offense. You're dead last in scoring defense. You're one of the worst teams this year. You needed something, right? Anything at this point, I think, is a good move for them. Um, and to get a guy like Dion, who's going to have some national recognition, a good name coming in, probably gets you a few recruits you don't really deserve, but you can kind of combine it and say, I'm going to go play for Coach Prime. I, I mean, they got a five-star to show up to Jackson State. They, they, True. They're, they're going to find a way to probably snag a kid or two and, and make it interesting over these first couple years at least. As far as Dion goes, I, I'm not going to be the guy to call him out. What is he supposed to say at Jackson State? Yeah, I'm excited to use you guys to get some recognition, <laughs> and then I can go on to a real school. Like, is he supposed to say that? Because I don't believe that. Yeah, I don't think that he believes that either. But that's almost what it seems like the narrative has become is like, oh, he treated them like they weren't anything. I'm like, he came in and he picked your school to coach at when he's a guy who he's prime time. That's why that exists. That That's his nickname, right? He He's... He's one of the best NFL players of all time. And he came in and immediately gave your program not just name recognition, but he brought in excitement to your program. He brought you eyeballs. He brought you star athletes. He brought you money. And at this point, you know, for him to say like, okay, well, people are wanting me to jump up. I think that I have an opportunity to do this. Yeah, he's probably going to want to do that. He's probably going to want to make that jump. Yeah, he might have been maybe a little bit, um, I don't know if it's maybe hyperbolic or exaggerated in the way that he defended Jackson State to start with and the way he kind of defended his his spot and saying yeah you know like this is awesome I'm going to revitalize this whole program I'm here for that maybe he didn't have to go as far as he went in you know his praise but at the same time I mean he was always going to jump anytime you're that big of a name and you're doing that well you're going to jump at some point you're always going to make that move upwards you want to go see what you can accomplish at that next level and Colorado is a level up at the base level. I know that they're one of the worst teams in college football right now, but they are a level up. They have some resources. They have some things that can help them out. And so, you know, I'm I'm excited for him personally. Colorado just became, you know, a team that I think I'm going to have to almost watch every now and then. It's, you know, if there's nothing really on and I got to pick between a couple of games, Colorado just made my list of games I got to watch because they're going to be exciting. Right, there's going to be some energy in that stadium. There's going to be some energy on that sideline, and I think it's going to be fun to watch this team. Do I expect them to compete next year? No, I don't. I don't think that anyone would expect Coach Prime to come in there and make one and eleven Colorado a playoff contender. But they're going to be more competitive than they were. And I think for Dion, you know, this is a cool move for him to be able to to take that step up and see what he can prove as a coach, not just as a player. I do wonder what the ceiling of Colorado football is under Dion, because as soon as he makes this announcement, um, you immediately have a host of guys decommit from Jackson state, which I think is the unfortunate thing in all of this Jackson state. Now, at least in the short term, likely recedes back to maybe pre Dion levels, as far as how competitive they were going to be. I mean, look, you're losing your quarterback who knows if Travis Hunter stays there? Um, you know, I, I know that he did quite a bit in his one year at Jackson State, but he did commit to to Dion um, over Florida State, right? That was the shock of all shocks on signing day last year. And so I do think Jackson State, unfortunately, is going to get tossed aside a little bit here. I hope that that program continues to succeed, but they're going to have to find a lot of sponsorship dollars that just went west to Boulder. Um, in this process, you also have, you know, kids starting to just 
announce their commitments to him, like Winston Watkins or yeah, Watkins. Yeah, Winston Watkins. The yeah. 2025 re- receiver, five star who decommitted from AM, I think a month ago. He today announced that he's going to Boulder in two years to play for for Dion. So a lot of media hype. I think that this is going to be a different level of football and Prime may get a lot of really talented kids, but I don't think it's going to be as easy, especially not in the same conference with Oregon and Utah and Oregon State and USC and UCLA to to be relevant. So I, I do think everyone needs to pump the brakes a little bit on the hype train there. Uh, but overall, I do think it gives hope to Colorado where they just haven't had it in a number of years. What I will say on Dion's ability to compete, it's going to come down to his ability to bring in good coordinators. And I think he's going to be able to not necessarily in the sense that, you know, Oh, he's a prolific coach. And you're going to learn a lot from him in terms of schemes and X's and O's and how to do that whole process. But he brings eyeballs. And if you're the Colorado offensive coordinator and you have kind of a good year with the star wide receiver, or something like that, you might get a G five offer, right? You might get, an offer to go be a head coach somewhere else. So you you might see guys do with Dion almost what Dion did with Jackson State to kind of rise up a little bit. Sure. You might see guys come in and start to do that, and that would give Colorado some more immediate success than I think he'd be able to get just with sort of an average staff and you know and, and just kind of getting you know whoever you can find who's willing to jump in with a guy at the coaching level of Dion. Right? I agree that he's not necessarily a schematically an amazing coach who's going to win you games just schematically, but you can't doubt that eyeballs are going to matter. And especially Mm -hmm. with things like NIL and things like that, you're going to see a lot of guys come in who they're just there for the eyeballs and the recognition and to say, this is my first stop. And, you know, I I think that's going to be really cool to kind of see who can come out of that. I don't want to say a coaching tree, but maybe through that coaching funnel, you know, who can go through that end up on the other side and see where those guys end up. Well, and the bottom line is, we just on the day that the college football rankings came out, we just spent like dang near ten minutes talking about the Colorado Buffaloes guys. Sure. Like that—that's the whole point of this hire <laughs> is to be a splash hire. And if it doesn't work out, oh well, it can't be worse than what they've been doing. Like you, you're—they're literally bottom of the barrel right now. So, you know, I, I'm super happy for Colorado. I think this is an amazing hire for them, even if it doesn't work out. Even if two or three years down the road, they're parting ways with Deion Sanders because they're still not winning. They were already there. So it really doesn't matter. The commitment they got from the five-star uh, 2025 wide receiver, if he somehow sticks it out, which obviously it's a long way away from 2025 mm-hmm. signing day, would be just their fourth five-star recruit ever. So, wow. yeah, like that's where Colorado's at. And this is a huge, huge get for them. All right, well, let's wrap this up with going down the bowl schedule. Most bowls have been finalized. I'm not sure if there are a couple that are still trickling in as far as details go, but you know, I've got the ESPN Bowl, Bowl Mania page pulled up. Just scroll down that and tell me, all right, you look at this game on a particular Friday or that game on a Tuesday night. What are you excited to break down, to talk about? Maybe some of them like the New Year's Six Bowls, which I guess I can – I can go over real fast. Uh, there are a lot of fun games, New Year's Eve, and then Monday, January the 2nd. So Alabama, Kansas State are the Sugar Bowl. Uh, obviously, you've got the two semifinal matchups, the Fiesta Bowl is TCU and Michigan. The Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl is Georgia and Ohio State. Uh, but the Cotton Bowl on Monday, January the 2nd, Tulane and USC. The Rose Bowl, which will be Penn State and Utah. 
there's going to be a lot of fun bowl matchups this offseason that I can't wait to get to. What other games are on this slate that you think, yeah, you know what? Not only am I excited to preview that, but I can't wait to watch it as well. I'm looking at the uh, Military Bowl, which is going to be on the 28th of December. Happy birthday, Garrett. Your birthday present is to watch your Duke Blue Devils sure. take on uh, Gus Malzahn and UCF. Because That's all I, I really think, wanted. <laughs> I think that one's going to be really, really fun. Another one is the artist formerly known as the Outback Bowl. I refuse to call it its sure. name. Uh, Illinois and Mississippi State. And just the contrast of styles in that football game with Brett Bielema and his plotting old school offense with Mike Leach and the air raid could be fascinating. Yeah. And I'm excited to check up on the, uh, the music city bowl. That'll be the same day as the playoff games. And you get to watch the playoff games, get to enjoy all that. But in case that wasn't enough football for you, you can watch Kentucky and the vaunted NFL prospect, Will Levis, <laughs> Go up against the prolific oh, Iowa Hawkeyes. Over <laughs> under for that game just came out at twenty eight. I, I smashed the under. Um, <laughs> not not financial advice, um, but no, I, I'm excited. Honestly, for I mean the Duke's Mayo Bowl. I, I love the game itself. I love just the the stuff around it. Their announcement for who they picked was amazing, and they had the Mayo mascot behind sure. someone, and it looked like this creepy, you know, basement where they just had all the you know, the wires going around to which teams all just to come out for NC state and Maryland. I think that's a really fun game. Also really excited to watch the Alamo bowl. I know that Texas has been a little bit of a feature in the Alamo bowl for the past five or six years. It seems like they just end up there every year, but man, to be able to play a Washington team that I think has flown under the radar for a lot of people, not a lot of people nationally are really talking about how good that Washington offense is. And for a Texas team that, I mean, they came out, I think at minus four and a half to start, you know, no guarantees that Bijan plays, you know, probably looking at the the NFL at this point, you know, Worthy, I know, has been kind of rumored to portal at some point. So we'll see if he sticks around. That could be a more competitive game than we're giving it credit for. And then just the, the last one I really want to say with the Texas Bowl, Texas Tech making it to a bowl game against yeah. Ole Miss. That's just going to be an absolute party in Houston, Texas. So that'll be another fun one to just kind of look out for. There's so many good matchups this year that I'm seriously excited for. Am I crazy, or did Tech and Ole Miss recently play a neutral site game in Houston? I feel like they they did recently. They did a Houston. couple a couple of years ago. They started the season at the yeah. Houston Classic or whatever it was. So yeah, uh, and then Tech Welcome played back. Mississippi Tech played Mississippi State in their bowl game last year and won. So the Red Raiders very You'll very dominate familiar. the state of Mississippi for a second here, Red Raiders. Exactly, very familiar with the state of Mississippi. Uh, for me. First day that we get bowls, December 16th, it is a crying shame that number 25 UTSA and number 24 Troy, both conference champions, will play each other at 2 p.m. on Friday the 16th in the Duluth Trading Cure Bowl. I, why? Why are we doing, why are we hiding that bowl game when half the country's not even off yet? Uh, I just think that's a shame. I think that could have been very easily been a prime time game. I'm going to do my best to watch that game, but you know, no promises. Like it's at, it's at the end of the work day. So, um, I'm, I'm a little bit miffed at the, the time slot that they got there. I do think in addition to some of the games that, that you guys mentioned, I do think that this is a really fun bowl season, Kansas and Arkansas and the AutoZone Liberty yeah. bowl. 
that should be a really exciting matchup offensively. We'll see what Arkansas brings back to the table. They've already had a host of guys leave the team in the, into the portal. Um, Kansas, this is their first bowl game since 2008. So you know Kansas is ready to go, and especially to try and knock off an SEC opponent. I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, and then Notre Dame and South Carolina. I mean, shout out to Shane Beamer and, and the job yeah. that they did to get into the Gator Bowl. We all remember how big that was for Texas A&M when they made that uh, trip to the Gator Bowl against NC State. It felt like this was the first step in the evolution of the program, right? Making it to a relevant New Year's Eve type bowl game in the state of Florida, one that has a great tradition history this year at South Carolina. And they get to take on a fighting Irish team that will not know who their starting quarterback is because Drew Pine is in the portal. Yeah. yeah, I think the the Liberty Bowl, I think, should be called the Pronunciation Bowl. If Arkansas loses, they should have to go by Arkansas. And then if Kansas loses, they should have to be called Kinsaw or something like that until they play again. That would be, yeah, fascinating. Um, really bummed we didn't get a border war. I don't know if you guys are following that yeah. drama. Eli Drinkowitz apparently said that that wasn't the case, that they weren't ducking Kansas. Of course, you're going to say that. So. Well, the Mizzou Twitter is there. The Mizzou football Twitter account replied to Brett McMurphy's rumor and said, "No, we did not decline Kansas in the Liberty Bowl," which I thought was very weird for whoever tweeted that out from the official Twitter account. Let let Mm -hmm. let a a journalist or a spokesperson do that. Don't make that tweet from your official football Twitter account. It just it looks a little weird. Um, I, I would have loved the border war as well, but Kansas and, and Arkansas is, is a pretty good runner-up. Is there anyone that's the most lopsided to you guys, just at the first glance of it? Uh, first glance, I don't expect the cheese at Citrus Bowl to be very competitive. It's LSU versus Purdue. I think LSU obviously comes in limping a little bit on this one, but I don't think Purdue is a very good football team. They they Again, we've talked about this several times at this point. The default accidental winner of the shadow realm going up against an LSU team who I think had a pretty good season, all things considered. Uh, I don't expect that one to be particularly close. I think LSU probably takes care of business there. I think the Las Vegas bowl could get ugly in a hurry. Number 14, Oregon state, again, a team that's not used to being ranked this highly. They're going to be playing for a lot of pride and to really put the cherry on top of a very successful season under Jonathan Smith. Florida's already had a flood of guys leaving for the portal. It did not go well in year one for Billy Napier. I think that's Florida could be one of the top uh, pack it up, pack it in teams, I think, here in the postseason. You you might not even have very many Florida fans travel out to Vegas for this one, uh, at least not and make it to the game. Maybe they get stuck on the strip, (laughs) partying, they stay at the slot machines. But, yeah, I, I think in terms of just desire and want to, Oregon State's going to be up for this game. I don't think Florida will. Another lopsided one, too, the Armed Forces Bowl, Baylor versus Air Force. I haven't been very impressed with Air Force this year, and Baylor's going to have a lot of fans in the DFW area already for that one. So, um, yeah, I'm not necessarily thinking that this will be too good for Air Force. I, I think Baylor could come out and have a really, really, really nice day against them to win that win that trophy. Mine's going to be the other Cheez-It sponsored bowl game. I didn't realize we had two this year, but Garrett says the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl. I'll go with just the Cheez-It Bowl, and I might put all my confidence points on Florida State over Oklahoma. Huge Mm -hmm. brand name matchup, but 
I don't think that one's going to be particularly close with the season that Oklahoma has had. This is not are, Bobby Bowden. these again. games are in Orlando. Is the Cheez-It World Headquarters? I'm looking this up. Do they I have, have no idea if that's where that Orlando is. Orlando or something? They're just dominating the marketing there, I guess, which is kind of surprising with the mouse in town as well. You know, they got Disney, obviously, in Orlando, so not really sure why they got both of these bowl games. I would think you would leave with just the Cheez-It Bowl and then – or if you wanted to switch to the Citrus Bowl, the other bowl would get a different naming rights or something. But I mean, hey, you get two bowl games in three or four days. They are one of the biggest sponsors of college football in general. So when there are sponsorships to go around, uh, Cheez-Its right there to claim it and and have them be the cheesiest. So, <laughs> well, you know, the, the Cheez-It is apparently owned by Kellogg's. I just learned that because everything's owned by like five companies in this country congrats to the tiger their uh their headquarters is in michigan so no idea why they decided to sponsor two bowl games in orlando but here we are because you you can't play a bowl game in december in michigan um that would that would be my (laughs) guess all right guys well let's wrap it up get out of there again if you have stuck with us or wondering what the program will be going forward Next episode, it's going to be a much larger commentary on the transfer portal, on some coaching changes, coaching hirings. We'll go through that carousel. And then we're going to start figuring out how we want to preview bowl games, whether we want to do it in one big episode or uh, kind of piecemeal it. It's, it's going to be a little bit difficult just because, one, there are so many bowl games spread out over a large period of time, but the transfer portal is open, and you're going to have guys opting out. You're going to have guys leaving. So we want to make sure we give you the most authentic preview that we possibly can. So again, head on over to Instagram and Twitter at 3TechPod. We'll release programming notes and, and kind of let you know what the upcoming episodes will be. But for Trey Reeves, for Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, so long, everybody. Hey.